I am not under any orders to make the world a better place. I just have a podcast. Reality Bites, coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching an episode of movie for the very first time. And today that is myself. Uh, this yeah. is episode 99, Tommy. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, podcast. yeah. We're almost there. <laughs> So let me ask you a question here, because you told me you had seen this movie before. Uh, how many times have you seen Reality Bites? To be honest, I'm almost in a similar boat as you. I only saw this movie for the first time back in December. Um, I really? From, yeah, I rented it from Best Video uh, in Hamden. Shout out to them. Uh, got the DVD because I was listening to the Lisa Loeb song. And I was like, yeah, I've never seen that movie. Why don't I see this movie? And I, I saw it and... I liked it. I was like, shit, this is a good movie. <laughs> I'm shocked right, I never saw it Because, I mean, this is like the epitome of Tommy Core, the movie. Like, I just, <laughs> uh, like, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, yeah. I got I to start. What is this thir- Tommy bullshit? <laughs> I got to start thoroughly vetting our movie. Not that this is a bad movie. Uh, yeah. It's not necessarily my favorite. Um, yeah. Uh, but I was just like, like, the soundtrack was so in Tommy. And if you're not aware, Tommy Core is like, if you took the essence of brooklyn like the hipster yeah and then you shredded it down and put it in norwalk connecticut that's tommy that's tommy core to a t you know what i mean like it's it's not full-blown hipster it's it's readily it's, accessible it's baby yeah it's like baby's first hipster baby's yeah. first step into being a hipster that's tommy core that's that's my definition your interpretation of tommy core right there that's our that's several of our friends definitions of tommy core right there is yeah. like <laughs> is 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 if you took brooklyn and transplanted it to norwalk and then you're kind of stuck and you know you, do, you don't get the full thing but you get you got a good part of it yeah there. well um well one of the reasons why we're covering this movie is that this movie is actually celebrating its 30th anniversary uh on february 18th uh gonna be turned 30 years old that's uh, that's what's insane to think about this is a film about people in their young 20s and i think that both times I've watched this now, it just captures that spirit of your early 20s, just like hanging out with your friends a lot, especially in like the first act of this, like first or second act of just like hanging out, like your friends are always right near you. And so like you're just doing shit like, you know, quoting good times. Like I love that scene right there. It's a fun hangout movie. <laughs> yeah, this is. um, I yeah, I will dive deeper into it. And granted, I was. I had to multitask while I was watching this movie, if you catch my drift. Uh, so I didn't fully engross myself the way I would have loved to. Um, but uh, when yeah, I, I really like the ending of it, but I um, mm. we'll, we'll get into it. Um, but Tommy, any movies you saw that you want to uh, discuss on the podcast? Yeah, so uh, I went to the theaters over the weekend. I saw the movie, uh, the new Diablo Cody movie, uh, Lisa Frankenstein. Um, You know, Diablo Cody, who wrote Juno and um, Jennifer's Body, came up with a new movie with Catherine Newton uh, called Lisa Frankenstein about like a teen that pretty much somehow resurrects some old uh, dead guy from like the 1800s and uh, becomes his boyfriend. So uh, it was a movie that was like essentially very Tim Burton-esque, very Heathers-esque, very Winona Ryder-esque, uh, speaking of her. 
And yet it felt like a lot of those movies, like, you know, Beetlejuice, which we've covered on the pod and then like even Heather's, but without a lot of like the charm or heart, it was overall, it was okay, but it felt like it could have just been so much better. It felt like, you know, just the aesthetic, but not a ton deeper right there, unfortunately. And, you know, Zelda Williams, Ron Williams' uh, daughter directed the movie and it wasn't as great as I thought it would be. <laughs> that's all right. I mean, that's part of going to the movie is seeing if you yeah. like it for yourself or not. Um Movie I saw in theaters this week was Anyone But You, the romantic <laughs> comedy with uh, Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. I was cute. It was, it was as like they made it as like twenty twenty three meets two thousand five a romantic comedy as you possibly could. Like, I, you know, one thing I do look for in kind of like your run of the mill studio romantic comedy is like doesn't seem like the cast is having a good time and it it really felt like the cast was having a good time um you know they play at, at, at a certain point a lot of these rom-coms just become like party montages or it's just like here's let's see sydney's when you have a fun time <laughs> yeah I, well it wasn't i wouldn't say it was that like it had its emotional beats I, you know it was just like kind of a strange concept where like they hooked up once then she left and then came back overheard him like talking shit or whatever because his guard was up because his mom died obviously so his mm -hmm. guard's up anytime any betrayal there and then turns out her, his best friend and her sister are getting married they have the wedding in australia they're causing fights so it's like everyone's plan to get them together and they smell it out and they start to play along right it's it's typical romantic comedy uh <clears throat> nonsense but I, I i enjoyed it i had a good time at the theater i will say i feel like one of the things that bugged me was the opening of the movie <laughs> where like the meat cute happens it happens in the first 10 seconds of the movie basically yeah first two minutes whatever um at a coffee shop but we see sydney sweeney like walking to the coffee shop but she's just like unceremonious unceremoniously introduced into on into the camera <laughs> like, where's with, the movie star moment <laughs> and yeah no that's my point and then glenn powell the same thing like unceremoniously introduced into the into the camera and like this movie's box office is 170 million dollars like that did really well and like yeah, glenn powell and sydney sweeney are kind of like close to breaking the curse of like not like movie stars just not existing anymore like they've just been having killer post-pandemic years like Glenn Powell being in Top Gun Maverick having a really memorable role in that Sydney Sweeney was in um Euphoria <laughs> Euphoria and the other HBO the White Lotus um she was in the first season of that like their profiles are very big mm. but like they were so unceremoniously introduced and I was just I like just wanted to like like to not see their face immediately and just give me like a cool reveal of the character not well, like it it is a thing that people say this over and over again that we don't have movie stars right now. I think Glenn Powell is just making his case right here. Uh, he did that Richard Linklater movie. Um, the, Everybody the wants some? No, 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 no. Um, the Hitman or something like that. Uh, oh, right. What... That's going to be on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, it's going to Netflix where it's like, you know, he should be able to have his fucking mid-budget stuff. You know, we don't see... Um, the, both movies we just talked about, Lisa Frankenstein and you know, but you are mid-budget comedies, which we need more of back in the back. Yeah, in the we need more of it. I feel like that's just, th these are the movies that, like, establish stars. Like, 
you have these mm -hmm. smaller but you know mid-sized budget movies like they look like they're funded by hollywood um where and i would say something like anyone but you or the script's a little underwritten in my opinion but like kind of carried by two great stars like two big star performances and i just i felt like this was a good movie for them to have like the introductions where they're both like co-leading the movie like you know mm -hmm. tv is going to be shot differently in like sydney sweeney's case and then for like glenn powell like he was you know kind of he was playing the um Iceman role essentially in, in Maverick so he like he didn't need like the movie star reveal where like Tom Cruise got that full treatment like when he's on that hangar bay in that movie yeah and he like, hands <laughs> through the past you know like his past and stuff like that but like Glenn Powell I think he was just like playing pool and kind of being a dick like that's all we needed for his character in that movie um it was just something I wished I like that's what I was wishing like I just felt like oh like it'd be cool a little more cinematic yeah, a little well, more cinematic. Because... Like, bring us back. Like, just like, don't show me their face at first. Like, the whole thing was like she had to use the bathroom. She walks into the, into the coffee shop. They tell her customer policy she had to buy something, or you know, store policy had to buy something. Um, and then she, you know, pans over to the line, and he's just standing at the front of it. Like that's all we see. Uh, like, you know, if she's gonna buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> You're like, her, where's her. my movie set? Or and then, and then he's like, and then he's like, oh, like I'll, I'll, oh, honey, like why don't you get this? And what's the bathroom key? This comes with one, you know, like meet cute moment, whatever. Um, where it's like, why did it? Why couldn't like the camera have followed her down the stairs as she's like kind of shuffling along, like in a one sweeping shot, like this cinematic, you know, like a very cinematic moment. Um, and then like. It pans to like the way back of the line, but we don't see him. And then the camera sh shifts perspectives and it like leans over and it's just the back of his head and like that. And then you get like a close zoom, zoom in her face and a close zoom in his face. Like it's all we need, you know what I mean? But just like a little mm. cinematic tension of like who the actors that are that we know well, whose faces are on the thing, like reveal them to me. Like make me feel like they're like a movie star. Like they have well, so, so often in this so film. I feel like so often so many of those films like end up um, you know they say nowadays that like you know directors are told like you know shoot this so it can be played on an iPhone too. That's why you don't get as many cinematic and get much more static shots shots again. I feel like, um, but you know it's good to see rom comes back in theaters. You know I feel like movies like that aren't made as much like a movie like Reality Bites. <laughs> yeah, a movie like Reality Bites. That's a good transition, Tommy, into today's feature, Reality Bites. Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, Ben Stiller, in a comedy about life. Do you have a lawyer? I don't have a dentist. Love and the friendships in between. Would you two just do it? I'm starving. Mm. Reality Bites, rated PG-13, starts February 18th. Yeah, so this is definitely a movie I feel like I would have connected with more at like 20 yeah. versus <laughs> 30. Like I, I feel like maybe that's my big disconnect that i felt like <laughs> you're like these movie. youngins <laughs> well like like the whole beginning of it is kind of like you know there's a scene where they're her and uh, winona Ryder's character leilania and ethan hawk's character troy your leads in the movie are at dinners with her parents after um after her graduation where she was valid victorian and like getting offered a bmw as a car and kind of like we're not did you not listen to the speech we're not trying to take over this corporate world like this whole thing like like we're going to change the world and like i you know i guess that's where the moniker of like the title of the movie comes in reality bites is when you actually start mm -hmm. working you start realizing like 
you can't be taking these things for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, the, like people offering you nice things to help you out because life is harder than you may realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like maybe that was the disconnect for me is like, I guess I've gotten to the point that I feel more, you know, you know what I mean? Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 just you- starting out. Yeah, you're you're like, oh come on, like fucking like why don't, why don't you just like grow up a little bit? Um I one thing I realized on this rewatch, uh a movie this kind of reminded me of, but did so much better than that movie was the fall uh not the fall stars, fucking what was that movie we uh the person being a wallflower, the movie we covered on the pod. Where like sometimes these movies can uh like go into just like a melodramatic bullshit where it's just like Oh, this person yeah. had a tragedy, this person had a tragedy, this person had a tragedy. But for some reason, this worked for me in this movie because I think the characters were much more likable and had fleshed out a little bit more than just their I stupid tragedy. Or their tragedies. With you. I, I didn't really find Troy. Like, I felt bad about his dad who was dealing with prostate cancer, but everything about him was like douchebag to a T, you know? Um, well, that's the thing that's it's funny because this is a very '90s movie. Uh, this is like essentially a Gen X movie more than anything, and the main love triangle is essentially like, does Winona Ryder want to be with Ben Stiller? Um, like you know, the kind of like yuppie kind of dorky guy, or the Ethan guy who's, who's like the brooding artist, the guy who's yeah, the brooding artist, or like the guy, the corporate the corporate hot shot um, and in the 90s people were like oh like you know that's part i mean we'll jump into the end but in the end of the movie she ends up choosing like uh ethan hawk and i was like i feel like the 90s gen x way of like yeah don't sell out that's when people gave a shit about selling out so much and nowadays people i personally feel like she chose the wrong guy i feel like she should, should have chose ben stiller as much as it pains my heart to say because Ethan like Hawke's he a jackass <laughs> he just like and he's just not like redeemable um like I get that he's, they were friends for a longer time, and maybe like that was one of the things. Like is like it would just be like little like thirty second quips of them going back and forth, and then he would say something that pisses her off, and like they weren't friends for like a majority of the movie. <laughs> they had a falling out, and like I, as much as I, I do like this movie overall, but like it was just the one thing that she should have, yeah, Ben Stiller fucked up, like you know, with his uh, by mishandling her, like. Yeah. documentary but it wasn't his fault intentionally i feel like it wasn't and... his fault intentionally and like i don't know like he got like her she wants to be a documentary a document she wants to be a documentary filmmaker and mm-hmm. she like has been filming her friends like and the struggles of of the the youth of today and, and ben stiller works at like mtv the is mtv type we couldn't get the license for mtv so it's uh this is the channel that we actually work at now and Uh, they actually say in the movie this is the mt uh, the channel's kind of like mtv but edgier (laughs) just such a 90s term right there such a 90s term and like i mean ultimately if you're an unknown documentary filmmaker that's like 23 you're you can submit the footage and they're going to cut it how they want it. Like he actually gave her the opportunity to have something made. Like Mm -hmm. it was, and like, that's the other thing too. And it's part of that is I guess a charm and like the nativity of the characters is like, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't realize that like, this was just the debut to like a bunch of like investors and stuff and seeing if it's something that's going to air, like their response to it Mm -hmm. versus like it actually being the thing that debuted on television. You can't take it back um, Mm -hmm. because uh, ultimately you need to you know like 
take that back um it's it's a question of just like almost integrity i mean when we when this movie is made uh this is the time of like a band like uh the punk band jawbreaker went made to a major label and people were like they lost fans because they were sellouts how could you then people actually gave a shit about that they're like oh really integrity about the art like you're not supposed to just like just make money whereas nowadays i feel like the culture is kind of shifted where people are just like well, just, I guess just make the, make what you can get from your art. Like fuck it. Yeah, like the cost of living has just gone up so much. Yeah, than the 90s. Is. Like, like it's you can't tell me that's not a big thing. Like, um Well, yeah, yeah like you, when you um the inflation calculator came out in handy a lot in this movie because like you know, sometimes it'd pop up like, oh, it'd be only this or four hundred or something. Um and it also does like show like the way like sometimes the early twenties where you just gotta hustle and just do whatever the fuck you can, whereas her case was stealing money from her dad yeah using her dad's card money and like kind of said she was working as a production assistant on some talk show and like the guy was a dick but and like didn't want her there full time and then she sabotaged the show and got fired and then didn't have any income source anymore and it's Mm. one of those like something a mistake you would make at 22 23 years old um, yeah, like oh fuck you, fuck the man. This this is definitely just like a very early like twenties where you like kind of punk mentality about some shit. Some shit. Uh, what do you think about the whole setup of like her working at that morning show? Because I thought it was hilarious, especially John Maloney. It gave off such like clear nineties morning show vibes. Yeah, definitely <laughs> did. I mean, you could see a little Mrs. Doubtfire in that, like just in like yeah the way that they showed the. Um, the room that it was like, like the, like the set that it was on and stuff and yeah. like the way the script and like the little s- skits that they would put into it. Like you could definitely feel that. Um, um I, I love, I love those, the, the fucking prank right there. It's just like, uh, just fuck this guy and <laughs> make him read the cue cards. Very Anchorman-esque. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and because the interesting thing is it, de- you know, it really focuses on Troy and Leilania, but they, uh, mm. uh, uh, you know, there's also Janine Garofalo who plays Vicky, and then um, Steve Zahn playing Sammy as like friends who are like kind of in the movie, and then like have like serious things that they have to overcome, and they almost feel like at 1994, what were big issues for young people to deal with? Like one was like <laughs> HIV, and the other one was like coming out to your parents that are conservative, and mm. that was like, like that was all they kind of offered you know like we didn't really spend too much time with them other than like the phone bill was too high i was especially if steve's on i was looking at like you know solo scenes or him scenes with like one-on-one of someone else and really it was only just the little subplot of him coming out to his parents which when i first watched it was very like striking and like kind of like hit but and i felt it, it authentic in a way that movies like purpose of being a wallflower did not in a way um because i I just think that in general that this movie focused on more on like the overall friendship vibe i think the first like 30 to 40 minutes of this movie are just a fun hangout movie and it did almost feel like on my first rewatch like oh shit i'm seeing my friends again or something like that um and that's what i think i'd come back to more more or less movie more than the melodramatic moments which i feel like in the cases of just janine garofalo and uh steve zahn felt a little more superfluous or more just like let's just add up some uh, melodrama yeah. here well one of the things i saw when they were developing the script is that um like they spent more time with those characters but ultimately felt like it was 
better to like trim them out and focus more on Troy and Leilania and uh, which I get from like a storytelling perspective especially when your first 40 minutes of your movie is just kind of chilling um, well also the, the movie Bruntime I mean I think this movie flows really well only 99 does. minutes we don't need uh, at the end of the day we don't need like very super fleshed out of every single front character no um, no but it, like even in those hangout movies they all kind of felt a little secondary like mm-hmm. u- ultra secondary like for me i didn't really get the chances a little more with janine garofalo's character but not so much with steve zahn's character and i was like steve, yeah I, steve... Love steve. I love steve zahn and i was like oh there's steve zahn and then like i didn't and then he was like in the movie for five minutes to be fair this was his like second movie ever apparently so um in terms of like cast priority um you know you wish nowadays but um you know this came out a point for Ben Stiller. This is the first movie he ever directed. You know, this is the second movie we've uh, covered of his. Um, technically third if you can't meet the parents, but the other one being Zoolander. Um, and apparently, like, you know, they uh, wrote the script, like, back in the day, in, like, 91. And uh, the Ben Stiller show, have you ever seen that, by the way? No. Very fun sketch show. Bob Odenkirk, Jeannie Graffo, Andy Dick, and Ben Stiller. But anyways, uh, he uh, basically took over directing roles of that once uh, that they saw Ben Stiller's show. He should direct this movie. And this one did turn around. No one really wanted to get it because singles kind of bummed the box office and people were like, oh, Gen X, like uh, bullshit movies aren't going to draw. And it wasn't until Renata Ryder read the script and she wanted to do it. And immediately Universal Pictures was like, let's do this. Because at the time for Renata Ryder, this is like her being in a lot of period pieces, you know, like uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, movies like that, where she just pretty much said, I want to wear just some blue jeans. And this felt like what I would have been like if I didn't become a movie star. And I think this is a good role for her in general. I think that Jenny captures her a cool vibe. How do you feel about her performance overall? In this? I, I thought she was fine. It kind of, I kind of feel like now that we've seen a good amount of Winona Ryder movies on this podcast. Again, <laughs> yeah. I'm there's anything you, we've covered. You're, <laughs> I got to take over some influence charge on this podcast here. <laughs> Um, but hey, uh, you you get you get your ones in, you get your heats, you get your scar faces just coming up in tombstone. You're you're getting your picks in. <laughs> but um, with uh, <laughs> with this movie, I like I she's not that she's a she's a good actress, but like I I didn't really see a difference between her here and then her and like Heather's. Like I kind of Heather's Heather's Heather's. I I got the same vibe. I, I listen, I've been talking for five hours today. You gotta, you know, <laughs> yeah. the old brain is not uh, functioning at 100% here when we're recording after work. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that Andy Dick cameo was uh, surprising. Like, I've never seen a guy that they've wanted to be a bigger, like, not star, but like C list level guy that's just gonna kind of show up for a bit role and everything. Like, I feel like that's like, that was like, what everybody was, in Hollywood want for him from him, and he that was, was just, a great montage too of just like him, Keith David from the thing uh, showing up in there too randomly, yeah. you know, just like random, just like he yeah, that was one, one of those that was for me. It was like, <laughs> oh, it's that guy. Yeah, um, yeah when I first Keith watched David this, show. I saw Keith David uh, on the Keith. screen. I was like, oh, what the fuck? He's in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> let's go. But, but then I, I uh, then you just think of like uh, Andy Dick, and you find out all the things that he did, and you're like, oh. Yeah, I guess it explains why he was like a shimmering star in the 90s. And now he just kind of like shows up on like VH1's like I love the 80s kind of show. Well, yeah, he was he was uh, essentially like, you know, uh, one of the main members of the Ben Stiller show, which is like a sketch show that lasted for one season produced by Judd Apatow. 
And that's definitely why he had this little one scene cameo, and especially why Gene Garofalo was in this movie too. Um, but Andy Dick in general, I mean, there's like, like pretty much stories out there in Hollywood that everyone has like a shitty Andy Dick story of just like, oh, I saw him at a bar start harassing me or something. And he just, just wanted like, to grab my kick, he, and I met, I've known him for 30 seconds. And it's the like, dude oh. took his last name to heart. He's like, oh, Andy Dick, I'm going to be a fucking dick. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's an interesting character if you don't know anything yeah. else. I, I, speaking of dicks, how'd you feel uh, Ethan Hawke in general in this movie? He, I thought, he was, a great I guy thought it was a, I thought it was a great performance. Like I thought yeah. he did a really good job. Um, mm. and I said I really liked the ending. Um, basically, after Ben Stiller, uh, like the debut of the documentary bombs, she like mm. runs back to the apartment. Um, uh, Troy is there, and they hook up, and then he runs away in the morning, and. And then, like, they have a confrontation at his show later, where he <laughs> like tells her the truth. She's he's like, I, "Listen, I love you. I got scared. Okay, I've never been with somebody that I love before." And she wasn't responsive of it, you know. As Mickey shows up with like two tickets to New York, first class yeah. tickets to New York to go and repitch the the uh, documentary any way that he yeah. could, which definitely puts her in like a more awkward position there. Um, <laughs> And then, like, he kind of runs away, and we don't really know why, but we see him going to Chicago, and then we see him uh, in a hospital, like, kind of shaking, which I thought was great when he calls her, and then can't even, like, can't even speak on the phone, just hangs up, and then she's going to run to Chicago to try to find him, and he's at the door. Like, I thought that was the best performance in the whole movie, was that. Uh, I, I think the way that Ethan Hawke performed, just, like, coldness, too, of the scene where, like, right after they, uh, you know, made out briefly, and she was like, no, I can't do this. And then she goes to the diner and just expects them to be like, buddy, buddy, like, hang out, yeah. like, oh, patter, patter. And he's just like, hey, what's up? I gotta go. Yeah, I, gotta I guess. And part of it is his failure to, like, communicate being like, no, like, I really care about you, and I really don't want to be with anybody else um which i mean at the end of the day i think that's why i mean do you think that she should have chosen him or brent Stiller? no ultimately i mean in the long run in the long run are they going to work out he was in a suit at the end so maybe he wants to get a real job i don't know <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe this is the start of him just becoming like oh and on 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 um, yeah i just i think part of it is like the delusion of your like that early part of your 20s where like you haven't had any real responsibilities yet and mm. and then like those bills and stuff so and like acting like poorly at work will get you fired and then you don't have money coming in well it's also like the like kind of like you know ego thing that people go through sometimes when they like get fired like i'm not gonna work at the fucking gap you know I'm just like yeah. how pretentious Renault's Ryder character is. She's definitely the type that just like is learning on her feet. Like, well, because her dad like owns a company. Like, they she comes from money, even though she's mm -hmm. trying to like pretend that 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 that's not a side of her, but it is. Like, she has a her graduation gift was an unlimited gas card for a year, which yeah. she uses to basically um, eat food. Yeah, like fucking eat food do and and buy like she like when they were in the hole, money. Like, she would buy people gas and be like, okay. How much gas are you putting in? Okay, I'll fill you up if you give me the twenty dollars cash right now. Um, which you know, tip of the cap, I get it. Uh there on, on that, which I thought was that was a funny montage. But yeah, yeah, I thought the ending was really poignant and powerful. Um there, but like I guess ultimately I, it was like that moment isolated was good. I just didn't really feel the characters, the connection between these two characters. 
um, throughout the entire movie. Um, you know, I well, yeah, I felt that she had a better connection to Ben Stiller. Um, yeah, I did too, and I felt like you know she naively just like ran away from him and into like a familiar arms, like a longtime friend, um, and then it just. Was- it, it almost put her in a position that she's tanking her documentary, like her dream of being a filmmaker, like kind of to be with like Ethan Hawke, who does nothing essentially. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's essentially just the full nineties of it. Um, I think a good litmus test for this movie, if you would like it or not, is just first asking, how do you feel about the documentary? Do you think that like this movie hyped it up as like, this is some great work. Like what, no, what do you think? Whereas Roger Ebert saw this movie and he was like, sucked <laughs> like the movie she's making sounds awful <laughs> the movie she's making the movie she's making sounds awful but like you need a <laughs> I, I i say this because like there's no real mention of like an overarching theme that that mm. like tie, like if you're gonna tie like four disparate stories together just because they're friends mm. um and just call it like oh this is our generation's experience of life right now like that's not enough. Like you need like <laughs> something to kind of tie them together. Um, yeah, and it's just it's just missing that. Um, do you, Do you think that as a whole of the movie or? Uh... <laughs> no, I I'm, I I I feel like this movie is something I would have connected with more at a younger age. But for me, <laughs> I just like struggled to kind of get into it during the hangout phase that you kind of adored and actually kind of enjoyed more of the melodramatic moments than anything else. Like, That's interesting. Cause this reminds me of like, you know, like four years ago of like me living with my buddies where like, you know, my, uh, my living with one of my best friends and one of our best friends lived directly above us. We'd always just hang out in the townhouse, always see each other. That's what the first 30 minutes felt like just over and over again. It's like, Oh shit. Um, I think the soundtrack is great. I mean, like, did you stick around for the Lisa Loeb sound uh, at the end? <laughs> no, I had it off like the second credits hit. Um, so you didn't even see the post credit scene or post credits. Don't tell me they did a Marvel thing too. Oh my god! No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just welcome Renault Ryder to the Goth Universe or some bullshit. Um, no, it was essentially like you know at the end of the movie it shows that uh, Ben Stiller's character created like a Melrose Place like uh, TV drama that's essentially just like Renault uh, Ryder and Ethan Hawke's characters, where it's just like he took uh, inspiration from that and be like, I'm a musician, I have to make my art, and she was like, but you can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I good mean. Look. listen this was kind of like any post-credit stuff i'm like the the only good one that's ever been done was the ferris bueller one where it's like you're you're still here the the movie's over what are you doing here like i I love that it's like why are you sitting through this um i remember when we saw uh, we reviewed doctor strange and something else i think we did army of darkness doctor strange together yeah, uh, way back when uh, the Doctor Strange two, um, and then you're like, did you see the post credit scene? And then the post post credit scene, I was like, no, buddy, I was out of there the <laughs> second that like I I don't have any interest Mar- in watching yeah. post credit. I like like at all like put it in your movie. And then like we saw the anyone of you, anyone but you version we saw was like the Valentine's Day re release or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like you know you have Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell like speaking to you, being like. After the credits roll, we have another surprise for you. Um, one of the big themes of that movie was like the song "Unwritten" by Natasha Bedingfield. Um, yeah, and like teased at the beginning and then like played redundantly 
at the last like 15 20 minutes of the movie and then mm. the the credits roll with like the actors and stuff and they do like a little blooper reel uh to unwritten cute mm. okay fine and then sit through the credits which thankfully were short because there's not a lot of like visual effects artists like, <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, yeah all that stuff that's like on a marvel movie like those credits are 30 minutes long yeah. and then and then it was like okay here's this and then it was just another cut of the music video for unwritten by anyone but you with like the actors and stuff like performing it and i was just like wow so they just literally like anytime they called cut and like that's a good take okay now we just need you to do unwritten real quick uh and they just like did it at every that's a dvd that's a dvd extra that's a right dvd there. that's a dvd <laughs> nonsense extra. that, I, that, that yeah. I did not need to sit through to well it, it, it is one of those things that's like I, I started collecting like more like 4ks and blu-rays and stuff like that and i've been scouring through like fucking special features that's the stupid bullshit they had like um with best video um i was able to rent she's all that and she's all that i had like a music uh one of the, spe the only special feature was a music video for that song kiss me of just like frey prince jr and rachel lee cook in in this uh like music video just like oh my god look at that so i mean that's the thing we probably see like if we got anyone but you on blu-ray that's definitely a special feature right there just some stupid bullshit like that yeah i mean that was that's what it felt like and it felt like well we need to give people a reason to come in but it's like yeah. it's very tough when it's a song that i have i've now heard like three times in in almost completion like the past like like 15 minutes like it's like i love that song like i can listen to it on repeat but it's tough to get me to sit in a theater oh it's also like a, a fucking like it's a song that I feel like if I looked up right now, it's probably in so many other fucking movies. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. But yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the ultimate, like, putting a romantic comedy song. Uh, let's be honest. Yeah. So. I am a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. All right, Tommy, who is the star of Reality Bites? Who do you feel gave the best performance? Um, I think that Ethan Hawke was really great in this movie, but I think Renata Ryer just gave off like a very relatable, just person get on their feet in early twenties role. I think she was really charming in this movie, and um, I thought it was fun. <laughs> I I see. I think it was I for me it was Ethan Hawke because I love Ethan Hawke and I hated him in this, which is like that's what well, you're supposed acting. to. That's great. Yeah, I know you're supposed to, and that's I'm saying that's a great acting. Uh, yeah, right there. Um, I felt like he carried what emotion was really in this movie because like you know janine garofalo she had an aids scare and then it was just like i am aids free and then that was that <laughs> yeah, it just it just fucking and then steve up. zahn was like i'm gay and he came out to his parents and hey, was like, this he, is my boyfriend you know what i mean yeah. like he was the only one that he, had, like, here's one thing i'll say though here's any one, emotional one weight over like actually yeah. having reality bite him in the ass because he lost his dad like here's, he's here's not gonna be able to talk to his dad again yeah i mean here's one th thing i'll say i mean like the diff uh, thing that elevates this movie over like um again i just have to mention personal people far because i'm really moving fucking terrible is that at least those melodramatic moments of like the superfluous characters don't take it that much run time <laughs> yeah well, the perks of being yeah. a wildfire from what i can remember um exactly this is we're talking about movies saw two years ago <laughs> that, that I, what i can remember us have rewatched i have no desire to <laughs> i'm never watching that movie again yeah, um, no. <laughs> uh, it, it like all of the drama of it was very like so teenage angsty. Like, and granted, yeah. it was high school versus like just graduated college. Mm -hmm. So, like, they're going to be confronted with like real issues, and like all of those issues are real issues. You're saying mm -hmm. like the AIDS and the other one are not superfluous. I think they might be. I, I, 
I wasn't. I was one years old in 1994. I, I don't know if it was like, uh, you, you know, something like, you know, didn't Philadelphia win Best Picture in 1994? That was like 1993, 90... 94. It's it was on the. It was a 93 movie. Yeah. So what? Um, it, it won it in 1994. So a year before. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying. I. Again, I. It's much better than the perks of being a wallflower, but I think that was like quite literally the only movie both you and I were like, "Oh, gross! Why do we want? Why do we cover this?" <laughs> yeah, we were pretty scathing on that one. Um, but yeah, for me, Ethan Hawke, Ben Stiller playing a straight man again—not surprising. Uh, Keith David cameos just always nice to see, um, yeah. and more Steve Zahn in your movies. Like that's my notes to Hollywood. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. All right, Tommy. Would Reality Bites, the movie that has AIDS and coming out to your parents, work as a Muppet adaptation? Um. Well, ultimately, no. But I would just love to see just a chill Muppet hangout movie. We got that with the Muppet TV show. Yeah, just adapt. Twenty fifteen. Just adapt. Dazed and confused. Yeah, exactly. Adaptation like. Like, because you say like hang good hangout movie. Like, I didn't really get a good hangout movie vibe from this. Like. Like, I think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's a great hangout movie. Dazing and Views is the greatest hangout movie ever made. There will never That's be a why movie I, that could yeah. ever even come close to that in terms of hanging out. Yeah, I got to see it recently. And like, yeah, it's always like visiting your best friends. It's like, fuck, I can't. Let's go. We're going to go Water Tower. <laughs> I, I just didn't like connect with it like that. Because um, like... But- I, I, I think that in the movie, if you're going to do that, I think you keep a writer as a Muppet. I feel like she or as a human, I feel like she could add, add up well. Ethan Hawke would be probably. No, maybe he not stay, no, he should stay as a. No, they should just change the movie altogether. And then like reality bites is when like douchebag uh, Troy is the only human in the world. And he just like smokes a bunch of weed and takes his guitar <laughs> and starts like violently thrashing at puppets. Like you just make this into yeah. a horror movie. That's that's my transition because Troy has no love for the Muppets. I can feel that in my heart and soul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's totally pretentious about it. I mean, he only likes good times. <laughs> he only likes good times. All right, Tommy, review time of your Tommy Core movie. Give me a score at five. Um, yeah, so I think that overall this is a fun movie. I mean, I think that the first 30 minutes should capture a fun, like a little good like hangout vibe um, right there. I think that Overall, some of the melodramatic stuff kind of bogs it down, but thankfully they don't take up like that much of the runtime. And I think Runner Rider's great um, throughout this, and Ethan Hawke is phenomenal. I'm going to go, I think, four out of five. So, okay. Yeah. I'm going to go two out of five. I didn't really <laughs> care for the first, like, I enjoyed the melodramatic stuff between Troy and Leilania more than you did. Um, and I like the scene of the triangle with Ben Stiller showing up and like like how that all played out. It felt very realistic of like somebody who's not in control of their emotions right now making a bad decision that's gonna mark her on both people. Um, I didn't get the hangout vibe the first 90, you know, the first 40 minutes or whatever. Um, some humorous moments in it. Like it's not a bad move. It's not bad. It was not wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, could have also been like a mood thing. Like, I wonder if I watched this in like a better, more relaxed mood, I would have enjoyed it more. But for me, <laughs> two two out of five. Yeah. Uh, to to be fair, watch watching a melodramatic movie while you're like at work, being like, "Oh, you're bitching about this." Like, 
<laughs> yeah, well, wasn't at work. It was at my apartment, whereas my office also is. But I was also finishing some stuff up while I had it on at the beginning because you know, that's, you know, duty calls got to yeah. pay the bills somehow, and it's not this podcast that's paying the bills. That's for sure. So, Tommy, any final thoughts before we wrap up uh, this episode? Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this is our 99th episode. So next episode is episode 100. Um, we're going to be taking off next week, but episode 100 is going to kick off March. And we're going to be doing Tombstone. Get ready. It's going to be fucking awesome. I've never seen it. I saw parts of it, but I think I fell asleep because I was very drunk in a friend's basement, as I tended to do. But anyways, follow us on social media at Pod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, the occasional thread. I did post on there to me last week, so I, still somewhat active. <laughs> I feel like you did that solely so you can still say threads. Yes, in, in this, <laughs> that's like... exactly why. And we have a YouTube account. I post our episodes on YouTube. Check that out. Uh, it's you, mostly just audio. You would be better off post- posting on MySpace than on threads. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Is MySpace even a thing? Or Yik Yak? Or... or um. I know Snapchat's still a thing, but I'm not on Snapchat, and I don't know how we can upload podcasts to Snapchat. But anyways, uh, leave us a five-star review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. really helps us out, helps us grow the show. And yeah, get ready. Episode 100, Tombstone. Can't wait. Always look like a fucking sick movie I should have seen years ago. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.